at this point we'll dismiss the second, the kindergarten through second graders through the back door. <clears throat> and you have your Bibles open there to Genesis chapter 28. And as you do that, you want to flip left to Genesis chapter 25 because we're going to do a little background that's going to take us through the, those first couple of chapters, 25, 26, 27, before we get to Genesis chapter 8, 28. This fall, we've been making our way through the book of Genesis, and you can you know, divide up the book in any number of ways. There's two primary ways when you study the book of Genesis that you look at it. First of all, you look at the first four events, the creation, the fall, the flood, and then the Tower of Babel. All those are contained in the first 11 chapters. And then you would look at four main characters. You look at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, this father, son, grandson, great-great-grandson. So that's how you would look at it. Four main events, the first 11 chapters, and then chapter 12 to chapter 50, four main characters. Or you could follow or trace the book of Genesis or outline the book of Genesis by following a word called the Toledot, T-O-L-E-D-O-T. It's a Hebrew word that's translated, these are the generations of. And that word is found ten different times in the book of Genesis. So it's sort of like a, a chapter heading. When you're reading through the text, you come to the Toledot. These are the generations of. It's like you're, you're starting a new chapter. If you want to flip back to chapter 2, you'll just see the very first one. Chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. That's the very first one. And the way you think of that, of that word or that phrase is it's telling you, well, whatever happened to. In chapter 1, you have the good creation of what God did in the garden. And then when you come to chapter 2, the, the writer's trying to say, okay, so as a listener, you're asking the question, whatever happened to the good creation? And in the next two chapters, he opens up. Well, this, these are the generations. This is what happened to the heavens and the earth. And so this week, when we turn our attention to Genesis chapter 28, we're on the third major character, Abraham, Isaac. Now we're on Jacob. So if you want to think of the book in that way, we're, we're on the third major character, or we're on the eighth Toledot. Look at chapter 25, verse 19, 25, 19. These are the generations of Isaac. So in Hebrew, Toledot Isaac. In other words, whatever happened to Isaac. I know Abraham came along and he gave birth to son to his son Isaac. But whatever happened to Isaac and the people that followed him. And then for several chapters from 25 on, uh, they talk about what happened to, to Isaac and his family. And the primary focus is what happens to Jacob. So we want to begin by turning to Genesis 25. And when we turn to 25 and we focus in on these few chapters, one of the things that you're going to see is how terribly dysfunctional Isaac's family is. There are lots of dysfunctional families in the Bible. This is what makes the Bible so real. It's not a bunch of heroes. It's a bunch of goats. And so when you turn here and you see, okay, there's lots of dysfunctional families, Isaac's family's got to be near the top of dysfunction. And we'll explain that. I'll explain that to you in just a, a moment. You've heard this phrase, especially coming off of the Thanksgiving weekend. You know, what's the best part about Thanksgiving? Being with your family. What's the most difficult part about Thanksgiving? Being with your family. 
The most difficult part about being with Isaac was his family. It was so dysfunctional. When they got together, everybody imported this major dysfunction. I don't know if you've, you've ever thought about that in your family. They, they come back together. It's like this home of the misfit toys. They all come back with their dysfunction. And when they all get together, it's just explosive in, uh, in how poorly they operate together. In Genesis chapter 25, verse 22, if you look there, you'll see that Isaac's wife, Rebekah, is just about ready to give birth to twin boys. This is going to be Esau and Jacob. And they're already in the womb. There's this wrestling match. There's like a, a wrestling ring inside the womb. And Rebecca's crying out, what, what's happening to me? And the Lord answers her in verse chapter 25, verse 23. Those two boys are actually two nations in your womb. One shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So it's a kind of a prophecy given to Rebecca. These, it's not just two boys, it's two nations. And the older is going to serve the younger. So in other words, Rebecca, there's always going to be a wrestling match in your house. This, it just begins here, but it's going to continue on for the rest of your life. And if you read a little bit further, you discover that two boys grew up in a, in a home with very unhealthy divisions and, and uncontrolled emotions. Esau is his father's favorite. He's the oldest. He's the elder. He's the outdoorsman. He's the, the man's man. But he can't control his physical appetites. He can't control his emotions. So on one side in this house of four people, you have the dad and the oldest son, the favored son. And on the other side, you have uh, Rebecca. And her favorite son is the second. His name is Jacob. He's a mama's boy. But he's very deceptive. He can't control his Appetites, but they come out in a different way. And when the four of these people get together, it's just terribly explosive. You see in Genesis chapter 25, verse 29, the very first story you have about Jacob and Esau. You, you hear this thing about them wrestling the room, and then here in the womb, then you have this very first story, and, and Jacob is somehow trying to get the blessing or the birthright or the inheritance of the older son, Esau. So he's looking for a way, scheming for a way, saying, okay, I know the, 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 uh, the tradition is that when the father passes away, a double portion goes to the oldest son. And since there's just two of us, he's going to get two-thirds, and I'm going to get one-third, and I'm scheming and seeing if there's a way that I can use Esau's weaknesses to get him to give me two-thirds, and he only gets a third. And so one day Esau comes in, he's hungry. Jacob has made this stew because he's been sitting in the kitchen all day. And, and he, just, he just preys on Esau's weaknesses. And, and Esau comes in. He's so emotionally immature. He can't resist his physical hungers. So just for a bowl of soup, he trades his birthright. For, he can't control his physical hungers. He has this incredible birthright, this incredible blessing. And for one meal, one bowl of soup, he can't resist. Now, you're supposed to notice when you see this story, and you're supposed to have been reading Genesis from the very beginning, you're supposed to say there's parallels here to back to Genesis chapter 3. So in both stories, there's a deceiver. 
And in both stories, somebody can't resist their physical appetites. In both passages, there's an inheritance traded for food. One's for a a piece of fruit. One is for a bowl of soup. And after both exchanges take place, there's this rapid descent into sin. In Genesis chapter 3, she took, she ate, she gave, he ate. If you remember that sermon, it just it was a wrap. Once, once you get your mind set on sin, once you're, you got your both feet in, it's just your, your actions are very rapid. Same thing happens here for Esau. He ate, he drank, he rose, he went, he despised. Just this quick action after you got your mind set on a sin, you just go for it with great speed. See, the way Satan works, the way we work, it's not, not different from Genesis chapter 3. To Genesis chapter 25 to today. You, you probably know this. If you're at all self-aware. You get focused on something. You want it. it, it, it your physical or emotional appetite so big you can't control it. You'd sell everything you have for just one piece of fruit. One bowl of soup. And it all happens so quickly. In Genesis chapter 27, you get a real sense of the depth of the family dysfunction. Let me just describe it to you. Jacob, is. this is where he's trying to, to get Isaac's blessing. Isaac's an older man now. He's already been promised by Esau this blessing, but now he's trying to scheme. He doesn't know if his dad even uh, knows what's happened. So he's trying to scheme to get this aging, blind father to give this blessing to, to Jacob instead of to Esau. And so uh, uh, Isaac decides, hey, I want to give this blessing away. He sends his son out, Esau, to get some, some food and bring it back and prepare for him a meal. Then he's going to give this blessing. And, and um, the mother, Rebecca, overhears it and says, hey, let's, before Esau gets back, let's do the same thing. And Jacob, you can, you can steal the blessing. But see, when you read the story, you have to understand the only dysfunctional person in the story isn't Jacob. Everybody's adding to this dysfunction. Isaac's adding to the dysfunction because he knows the prophecy given at the birth that the older will serve the younger. But he doesn't want to follow God's plan. So he decides, hey, before anything happens, I want to make sure I want to give my oldest son the blessing. Look with me at chapter 27, verses 29. He doesn't realize he's blessing Jacob. He thinks he's blessing Esau. And look, listen to what he says. Let the people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. See, I want to make sure, Esau, even though I know God has said something, I want to make sure you get the blessing. So Isaac himself is dysfunctional. Esau is dysfunctional. He knows he's already traded his birthright. But before anything happens, before anybody knows, he wants to break his oath. He wants to break his promise. Then who overhears this whole conversation? Rebecca. Hey, I know. I don't mind deceiving my own husband. So, so Jacob, let's get, get our plan together. And then who's the master thief who goes in? Jacob. Do you see this family? Everyone's trying to deceive each other. Everybody's trying to grab for something and never give anything. It's so terribly dysfunctional. You thought your family was dysfunctional. How would you like to be in Isaac's and Rebecca's family? Everybody using the other person to gain for themselves. 
Well, when Esau discovers that uh, his father has given the blessing to Jacob, he's very angry. Verse 41, chapter 27. The days of mourning for my father are approaching. In other words, I see that my father is just about ready to die. But after he dies and after the mourning's over, I will kill my brother. So you turn from 27 to 28, which is our text this morning, and what you find is Jacob is running away. He's afraid. Jacob is the one that's been chosen by God, and yet he's going in the wrong direction. Notice with me in chapter 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba, and he went towards Haran. Where's Haran? Remember this? This is where Abraham came from. This is where Abraham got the promise of God. Abraham, leave your country. Come to another country. Come to to the promised land. So Jacob, his whole life's going backwards. He's going in a completely opposite direction. And it feels like God's promises are in jeopardy. Jacob has completely disregarded God with his whole life. He's always lived on his own terms. He's, He's used even his family to supply whatever he needs. He's a self-promoter, and now his life is just going backwards. Now, when we look at this particular account that I read this morning, I want to see it in three different parts. Jacob's condition, Jacob's dream, and then Jacob in what he calls the gate of heaven. So let's look at Jacob's condition, then the dream he has, and then this thing he wakes up and says the gate of heaven. First of all, Jacob's condition verse 10 or verse 11 he came to a certain place he stayed there that night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones to put his head under and he lay down and he fell asleep so the the author moses he's trying to he's trying to paint as vivid a picture he can of what's happening here first of all jacob's come to a a certain place it's a place that doesn't even have a name. It's, nowhere. it's just nowhere. Jacob is nowhere. He's the, the favored son. He's the one that's going to carry all the blessings from Abraham and Isaac and forward. But, but right now, he's nowhere. Secondly, the sun is setting. It's not just setting physically. It's setting on Jacob. It's going to be dark. It's going to be dark outside, and it's going to be dark inside. It's like heaven is closed down for Jacob. He's nowhere, and heaven has come to a close. And then third, Jacob takes one of the stones and puts it under his head for a pillow. I mean, how desperate do you have to be to use a stone for a pillow? Well, if you have nothing, it's better than nothing. You see, Jacob is nowhere Jacob is alone. Heaven itself has closed off to him. And now Jacob, he has nothing. And one more key point here, it's it's easy to overlook because it's not stated, but the fact that it's not stated helps you see it. Jacob doesn't even care to offer a single prayer. You notice this? He's he's ripped off his family. His brother wants to kill him. He's been a part of destroying this family. Now he has to go backwards from where his grandfather came. He lays down and goes, okay, I'm ready to go to sleep. 
He doesn't say any prayer. He doesn't say, God help me or I've messed up or anything. He's just, I'm asleep. I'm nowhere. I've got nothing. I'm alone and I'm just going to go to sleep. Not one tiny little prayer for help. This is a picture of somebody who's as far away from God as you can possibly get. That's what you're supposed to feel when Jacob goes to sleep. This guy is as far away as you can get from God as possible. And then he has this dream. Uh, Let's look at that. Chapter 28, verse 12. And he dreamt. And just notice the beholds in here. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to the heaven. And behold... The angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And, verse 13, Behold, the Lord stood above it, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, the east, the north, the south. And through through you all the families are going to be blessed. Verse 15, Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back. I'll do what I promised to do. Just look at these beholds. First, behold, there's a ladder. There's a ladder. You're not supposed to think of like your ladder in your garage. You're supposed to think of like a giant staircase. This Maybe in a huge mansion, you might see this huge winding open staircase coming down from heaven. And you're supposed to see that that it that it's what starts in heaven actually ends on the earth. It comes all the way down. It's the connection point. Second, behold, behold, see angels are ascending and descending on the the staircase. It's sort of like this divine circulatory system that Jacob has no way of seeing set for in this dream. And even though Jacob thinks heaven's closed off, what he learns in this dream is God's on the move. Even though you think everything's come to a close in your life, God's still on the move. He's still making things happen. And then this third and maybe the most frightening, behold, the Lord stood above it. Probably what it's meant to say is the Lord stood above Jacob. So God has descended the staircase and now he sees Jacob lying on the ground with a stone for a pillow and he's above Jacob. Now, if you were Jacob, you've just stolen a blessing. You've ripped off your family. You're going backwards in your life. And God comes and stands over you and says, hey, Jacob, you haven't offered any prayer, any acknowledgement that I even exist, but I'm the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac. What would you be thinking if you were Jacob right now? As the reader, you want to say, watch out, Jacob. Watch out, you're about ready to get clobbered. Here comes a freight, a divine freight train. You've just ripped off the God of your father Isaac, the God of your grandfather Abraham. He's standing right above you. Watch out, it's not a dream, it's a nightmare. And yet, this is amazing what Jacob hears. Verse 13. Jacob, I'm going to give you this land. See, Jacob, you think you're nowhere, but I know where you are. And because I know where you are, you're somewhere. Second, verse 15, behold, Jacob, I am with you. You you think you're alone? No, no. See, no matter where you go, no matter how far you run, I'm going to be with you. 
No, no matter how offensive your mistakes, Jacob, I'm always going to be with you. You're not alone because I know where you are. No matter how terrible your actions, I'm going to be with you. And third, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised. See, Jacob, you think heaven is closed off? You think you have nothing? No, you have me. You have everything. You have all these promises. And despite Jacob's life of deception, despite his complete absence of prayer, God is moving towards Jacob. Even when Jacob doesn't make the slightest move towards God. It's like Jacob's dead. He's asleep. He has made no physical movement towards God, and yet God is coming to him. And so this, this is what every person must learn, not just Jacob, but you and I. And that is that, that heaven is open to the worst kinds of people. You're supposed to get to Genesis chapter 28 and say, there's nobody who could end up further away from God than Jacob. And yet God's coming to this kind of person. So you know that God is for the worst kinds of people. He's actually chasing after people who are running away from him. So if you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, well, Pastor Paul, you don't know my story. Heaven couldn't possibly be open to somebody like me. I'll say, I don't know your story, but I know Jacob's story. This this man who does not acknowledge God, who lives by deception, who runs away from God, God's running after him. I know King David's story. The man who committed adultery and then killed the, the wife, the husband of the, the, the woman that he slept with. God's coming after that man. I know the Apostle Paul's story. He put to death the early church leaders. And God came after him. See, I I know what the Bible says. It informs me that heaven is open to murderers, adulterers, deceivers, liars, prostitutes, cheats, blasphemers, slave owners, idol worshipers, and drunkards. That's who heaven is open to. Anyone who's sick. And knows they need a physician. Heaven is open to that person. And of course I know my own story. Somebody who completely was self-absorbed. And I would act in any way that brought kindness back to me. Because I was at the center. And God chased after me. The Apostle Paul says, I'm the worst of all sinners. So if you sit here and in your mind you say, well, look, everybody looks pretty put together, but they don't know me. They don't know what goes in my mind. He's after the worst kinds of people. Heaven is open to the worst kinds of people. And then notice here in Jacob's dream, he sees the Lord and he sees that the Lord has descended the staircase and he's he's coming to us in this the whole Christmas message, Emmanuel, God God with us. God's not at the top of the staircase shouting down instructions. Hey, Jacob, wake up. This is what you're supposed to do. Here are the ten things you got to do to get up to the staircase. No, he's coming down the staircase. He's, he's on the move. He's climbing down towards Jacob. This is, this is the biggest difference between Christianity and other religions. Other religions give you a plan to get to heaven. The Bible gives you God's plan to get to you, get heaven to you. See, it's such an amazing grace. He's bounding down the stairway toward you, not to clobber you, but to say, I'm with you. I'm, 
You've got me. You're not nowhere. Third and final point, Jacob wakes up and he says this in verse 17. And he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? Of course, this is none other than the house of God. This is the the gate, the gate of heaven. Which is which is okay for Jacob. It's great for Jacob. Jacob finds out in a dream that God's coming towards him, no matter how deceptive, no matter how dysfunctional his family is. There's a gate that God's coming towards towards Jacob. But is there a gate where God's coming towards me? Is there a gate where God's coming towards you? Answer, yes. John chapter one. Let's turn to there. John begins to tell us that God's on the move. You remember the word became flesh and the world, the the word dwelt among us. The the God of of creation came down and became part of the creation. And he comes into his creation and he moves into the neighborhood. He dwells among us. And then several people intersect Jesus in this early part. And one guy's guy's name is Philip. And Philip thinks that Jesus is the Messiah. He met the one that all the Old Testament is pointing to. And if you meet that person, you want to go find your best friend and say, I've met the answer to all of our problems, the, the one who answers all of our questions. And he, so he goes to get his best friend, a guy named Nathaniel. And when he comes to Nathaniel, he says, like, we found the one. We found him. Nathaniel, come. And Nathaniel's underneath some kind of fig tree. We don't know what's happening there. Maybe he's meditating. Maybe he's taking a nap. We don't know. And he kind of is a little snarky, Nathaniel. Like, I mean, if this guy came out of Nazareth, I mean, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. But you're my best friend, so I'm going to pal along with you, and I'm going to come towards Jesus. And when he sees, when Jesus sees him, he says, Behold, here's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, not sure what's happening here, but he sees something to Nathan. And Nathan says, you know, how do you know me? I mean, you're, you're talking like you know what's going on inside of me. And Jesus says, well, I, I mean, I saw you underneath that fig tree. Now, what was happening under the fig tree? Nobody knows. But whatever was happening, it was big enough for Nathaniel to say, if he knows that, he must be the son of God. So he immediately says, yes, you're the son of God. And Jesus is like, man, if you believe with that, wait until you see all the other stuff you're going to see. And then he says this very strange thing that you wouldn't have any idea what he's talking about if you didn't know Genesis chapter 28. He looks at Nathaniel and he says, truly, truly. In the Greek, that's amen. So Jesus is amening what he wants to say before he says it. Usually a great preacher will say something and you'll say, amen. Like, I'm affirming what that person just said. Jesus is affirming what he's about to say. This is so awesome, i got to give it an amen before I even say it. So this is something you really want to pay attention to. I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God. What are they doing? They're ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus is telling Nathaniel, he's telling us, that he's the link between heaven and earth. He's the gate of heaven. And notice what Jesus doesn't say to Nathaniel. He doesn't say, Nathaniel, you'll see angels ascending and descending to the Son of Man. You might have expected that. No, he says, you're going to see angels ascending and descending on 
the Son of Man. In other words, Nathaniel, I am the staircase. I'm the connection between heaven and this world. And I have come down and I am standing over you and I'm saying, wake up. I am here. And when I'm here, you're here, here, you're somewhere. You're not alone. You're not nowhere. You're not lost. And so on the cross, God doesn't build a staircase for us to somehow get to him. That's religion. On the cross, God builds a staircase so he can bound down and come to you. This is amazing grace. This is the gospel. Amen. He has come into this world in a very ordinary, plain way in a manger. And he's growing up and saying now to these followers, I'm the gate to heaven. If you trust in me, if you put your faith in me, it's not about you getting somewhere. It's about me getting to you. You see, heaven's open to the worst kinds of people. Nobody is disqualified because of their performance. Why? Entry isn't based, praise God, on your performance. It's based on the performance of one person. That's Christ. And your job and my job or responsibility and my call to you is to place all of your trust in him. And when you do, heaven's open to the worst kinds of people. So as we take communion this morning, the communion table is for people who placed placed their trust in him. It's not for people who need tweaking. It's for people who think they're nowhere. They're no one. They're alone. And they have no hope if God doesn't come bounding towards them. And so he wants us to remember that he has come. I am the resurrection and the light. I'm the gate. I'm the bread of life. I'm the door. I'm the gateway to heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come to this table Those who are aware would know that they are sinners just like Jacob. And so I'm praying that these elements would, would nourish a soul, not just a body. To help us remember that heaven is open to the, to the very worst kinds of people. Because you're coming towards us. You're not requiring and giving instructions on how we come towards you. So all the people who were going to run away from you, you took the cup and said, this is my blood. You took the bread and said, this is my body. I'm giving it for you. Would you minister to your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.